0: Tech Sounds presents The Conscious Capitalists.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of The Conscious Capitalists with myself, Timothy Henry, and my partner in making the world a better place through business, Raj Sasodia.
1: Hey, Raj. Hey, Timothy. I think we're both recovering well from COVID.
2: Yes, indeed. I may have a little cough every now and then, but it's my post COVID cough, but um, we'll try to minimize that, I hope, as we go through this. But today, we have a very special, um, a very special guest, master of leadership development in all things to do with leadership, and really at the very, very cutting edge of of conscious leadership, Bob Anderson. Now, let me do a brief intro for Bob. He's been a pace setter in the field of leadership development for well over thirty years. He's the founder and chief knowledge officer of Leadership Circle, and the co author of an outstanding two books, two books on leadership that are really on your must-read list. The latest one is scaling leadership and before that, mastering leadership. Bob created the Leadership Circle Profile, a 360 assessment used by organizations worldwide to measure the effectiveness of their leaders individually and collectively, and chart a pathway for their development and assess their progress as they develop. He's also received a bachelor's degree in economics from John Carroll University, a master's in organizational development from Bowling Green, And in 2005, the Stereo Center for Executive Education at Notre Dame's Mendoza College of Business awarded him an Innovation Award and the Mico Leadership Institute awarded him the International Thought Leader of Distinction in 2018. Um, And beyond that, Bob is someone who eats his own cooking and lives uh, the model of what he preaches. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be with you. You've been a long-time member of our conscious capitalism community and had a huge influence, certainly on Raj and I's thinking about conscious leadership. And um, I know as we get into this, we're going to put a lot of words in front of leadership. We might put creative leadership. We might put reactive leadership. We might put conscious leadership, maybe even noble leadership. But as we do that, how would you begin by describing just the word leadership? What does that mean for you? Well, it's hard to describe it without
0: putting words in front of it. It's, um, mobilizing an organization, a group of people to create what matters most, Mm. to create outcomes that would be consistent with what conscious capitalism is all about. Results that matter, organizations we believe in, places where people thrive, leaving the world, um, a more sustainable, thriving place.
2: Right. Great. Now, what is your favorite word to put in front of leadership? <laughs> I know in the book you used a lot of different words. And one of them that hit me certainly was noble leadership, but I'm wondering what was what, what's what's your favorite phrase that goes in front of leadership and is meaningful?
0: Well, we distinguish between reactive leadership and creative leadership, which are two labels of um, different underpinned by different stages of adult development. So I was really working with the, with our definition of creative leadership um, underpin that's really underpinned by this notion of personal mastery or self leadership, which is, you know, like if you can step into your life, I mean, fully step into your life and create what matters most Mm. that's prerequisite. And then it's, how do I, how do I translate that to an organization uh, and its ability to scale that kind of creative capacity? And that's our, frame on the kind of leadership that's we need much more of in the world. Um, most leaders are operating reactively, our data suggests pretty solidly. Uh, about 20% are making meaning and operating from a self-authoring operating system or what leads to creative leadership. And um, the next stage we call integral, which, um, very few leaders operate in that domain it is very powerful. I actually think it's what conscious capitalism is pointing toward, that level of leadership that's now required more and more on the planet.
1: Could we uh, go love- back to the uh, journey, uh, Bob? And um, you know we've used your uh, LCP uh, system with a lot of CEOs that that we have going through a program, and it truly really has been life-changing for them and of course then for all the people that they lead so it is an incredibly powerful comprehensive practical uh, framework which has now been validated with I think over a million uh, data points but if you could uh, take us back a little bit to the developmental journey of uh, first of all how you came to be interested in creating something like that and how you did it so perhaps we can rewind Back to, I know you've I've heard your story a little bit before. It's a very eclectic journey of discovery and deep dives into, uh, into various domains before you came up with this.
0: Yeah, wow. Um, it's really a question of where you want to start. I was born into a very entrepreneurial family and uh, way ahead of its time in terms of creating um, what what you would call now a conscious culture. It had a statement of principles, it had an employee bill of rights. The unions aggressively tried to unionize it and couldn't couldn't because there was no need, and the employees just were like, we don't need it. And uh so I grew up in that milieu. On the other side, uh my grandfather was president of the American Medical Association, and his son was a famous Jesuit moral theologian. Very interesting. I just got back from doing a certification on the leadership circle profile with a group that's chartered to work with the vatican leadership (laughs) so i was at jesuit world headquarters and i walked in the door and i realized oh my gosh my uncle was here so i kind of grew up in this milieu of um leadership thought leadership leadership and started work in the family business making dog food on livestock feed having spent a lot of my time in college working in people development aspects and uh, had a deep spiritual life at the time and continue to uh, so I just came to the conclusion that's not enough it's not what I want I'm not becoming who I am that was a very clear statement that came out of my mouth at one point I'm not becoming who I am I got a master's after that in organization development got into director role started working with some of the the thought leaders in the field i was very very blessed fortunate i got connected up with peter Senge's organization innovation associates worked closely with them peter block took me on as a mentee you don't get a better mentor than peter block um i got connected up at clay with clay lafferty at human synergistics and they was brilliant cognitive psychologist that was building assessments and if you know their work you'll see the influence in the leadership circle profile and i started to realize that these were really different bodies looked like different bodies of work different theory different language different research felt very fragmented but i could smell underneath that there was underlying meta model underlying the integrated if you stripped away the language and so I spent 15 years of my uh, career integrating the best theory research in the field of leadership, psychology, spirituality, and so on. And when that model came together, and there's a lot of stories in there, but I'll skip them, um, I created the Leadership Circle Profile uh, to be a, a way of, I was using assessments to try to get feedback and get get. Uh, deeper into the the deeper work that's required to really transform one's leadership, and I couldn't find uh, one that I that I liked that really did everything that, that that it needed to do and and worked out of this model that had been developing for 15 years. So I created the leadership circle profile, and um, I'm as surprised as anyone uh, what became of it. It's all over the world now. And it's I just look at what's unfolding and I go, wow, well, how did that happen? <laughs> I love
2: the uh, I, I love the depth of the instrument, Bob, you know, because you can address it, at, at, as you mentioned, at, at several different levels. And um, when you bring in the notion of adult development and adult development models meets leadership development, how do you articulate that to people so that they don't feel that they're somehow lesser than? Because I know sometimes you can get into executive teams and you can sort of say, well, you're this level of leadership. <laughs> no, I'm not, which, of course, by the way, means you're that kind of leader anyway. But, um, yeah. but the sense of somehow I'm not enough because I'm not at that level, as you said, you know, sort of only a few reach that very highest level of adult development and, and for leadership development. Uh, how do you address that with people? I don't largely.
0: Mm. Um that's a framework that's built into the profile. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very, very important for people who use it uh, to really understand adult development that we do develop through progressive stages of development. And this is not new. This goes back to this mm. millennia into the spiritual traditions. They've been tracking these mm. stages of ego development and then beyond that into more spiritual stages of development um, or uh mystical stages so this is not a new concept and it's been in psychology but it's coming in as kind of the core one of the core uh frameworks because the notion of its relationship to effectiveness is really simple um who wants to work for an unconscious leader and the more and our data uh, shows this in spades the more conscious you are the higher level of your meaning making system the more effective you are going to be in complex circumstances so we were in a meeting just last week with um with Syngenta groups Syngenta is taken on I mean Syngenta has been a chemical company are a chemical company Um, they've been purchased by China to um feed China and they've put three other two other companies in with them so it's a very large agribusiness now, and they're taking on the challenge of feeding the planet and renewing the earth. And they're working with climate scientists, they're working with the Nature Conservancy, they're literally stepping into what we would call integral leadership or leading it from that place. And of course, with the war going on now, and all of the disruption and supply chain, everything that's happening, um my partner bill was in this meeting with them and he called me afterwards said that was the highest level of complexity that i have ever seen and he said what what really excited him was it became obvious who in the room could handle that level of complexity and who was way over their head and so this notion of development has to do with how well matched is my inner game my you know, to, to the complexities that I'm now faced with as a leader. Yeah. And so um, we actually don't get into stage of development, we just give feedback that shows you're functioning more reactively than creatively,
2: mm-hmm.
0: which are two stages of development, but um, we, we actually don't position it that way, except with students of the work practitioners. Mm-hmm.
1: Hmm. So Bob, if we could back up a little bit, uh, because many of our listeners may have heard of LCP or they're familiar with various 360s, but they may not really know much about it. So just if we can do a very brief tutorial on the uh, the underlying logic uh, of the LCP system and what it then reveals about, about leaders. If you could just give us a short primer on that, I think that would be helpful for our listeners.
0: Yeah, well, th- 360 is most are familiar with but if not it's just an assessment you fill it out on yourself others fill it out on you and you get feedback and compare it with your own you get a sense for how you're impacting others and how you think you're impacting Mm -hmm. others that's called 360 feedback and um what's unique about it uh there's there's a number of things that are unique but one is what we call creative leadership uh in the top half of the circle which is as a is a simply a very good competency of assessment so these are the things that in the field are really well researched to to relate to effectiveness and leadership and positive business outcomes things like you know um, focus on purpose uh, vision strategy or how how capable are you there um are you systems aware? Do you think systemically and redesign systems for higher performance? Do you are you authentic and clear and high integrity in your, in your communications? Are you self-aware, emotionally intelligent. Do you build cultures where people thrive, um, uh, and relate well to people and so on? These are the key competencies. Now, juxtaposed to that. Uh, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So the whole thing is built around the opposite dynamics to those things. Juxtaposed to that are a set of measures that say, are, are you showing up reactively, which is a strength, but it's run from fear. It's run through a reactive structure. And when we default to those strategies, we tend to overplay that strength or use it in a wrong situation and underplay the creative competencies. And that has liabilities associated with it. So the top half is very highly correlated to effectiveness. The bottom half is inverse to effectiveness and very solidly so. So it's a very dynamic, I was an economics major, right? So I, the models are dynamic, you know, supply and demand, supply goes out, you know, price falls. So. That dynamicness is built in so you can see the interrelationships in the circle between what's working for you and uh, what's not and how you're getting in your own way. And then on the left side, you have. Yeah, ta- a yeah task and relationship, right? So one is how well do you, how do you go after task? And the other is relationship. So
1: mm-hmm. you've
0: got a kind of a grid, creative reactive on the vertical axis, and then on the horizontal axis is the yin and the yang of leadership.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the bottom part I find quite fascinating because it's coming from a source that we don't often know, right? These are hidden triggers. As Carl Jung said, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. And likewise, you have reactions and, uh, you know, defensiveness and, uh, you know, What's called an amygdala hijack and so forth as a result of, of your upbringing, your childhood, the traumas that you may have experienced, et cetera. And I think the bottom part really addresses that and, and at least identifies those tendencies. Yeah. And then we have to figure out how to, how to neutralize some of those, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's part of the power too. If uh, underneath the behavioral map that I just described, is your inner game. And it points to what's running the show here. What are some of the core assumptions that are driving the way you're deploying yourself moment to moment? Uh, And leadership, our greatest asset is uh, deploying self into circumstances. So who is showing up and how am I showing up in any moment gets run from a, a deep inner game And so the bottom half points each dimension, each dimension in the bottom half, there are 11 of them, are behaviors that are typically run by an unconscious belief um, that it's in your interest to be conscious about. So I grew up in this amazing family that I talked about and part of its gift to me was that we developed a work ethic. And uh, my brother, Jerry, who you interviewed, uh just a couple episodes ago and i spent a lot of hours in the basement with a welder and building things under the tutelage of my dad who i checked the work every night i mean every night he'd come home and get out the level and the square and the tape measure and everything and if it was right he lavished praise if it was wrong he was furious And I'm talking within a sixteenth of an inch, it had to be perfect. Well, while I learned a ton that has served me very well, I also got wired up. uh, Love equals performance, and I'm worthless if it isn't perfect. And that took me a long way because I got really good at creating outcomes and results. And then I ran into the limitations of that, both the energetic cost to me and to others around me. They could never measure up. I could never measure up. And that's just one of them. I have a bunch more in there. And so all of these beliefs and assumptions, which we call reactive, uh, take a strength and you hook your identity to it. I'm OK if people like me. If People see me as loyal and supportive. Well, that leads to a lot of caution, what we call complying, playing small, risk-averse behavior, highly inverse to effectiveness and leadership. I'm okay if I'm brilliant. Everybody sees me as smart. I have to be the smartest one in the room or I have my worth connected up with finding what's wrong, being critical, analytical. That's a strength. Overplayed, it can be brutal on people. I'll tell you the truth, but I'll level you. I don't level with you, I level you. So this is the reactive. It takes a strength and uh, overplays it uh, when under threat.
1: Well, you know, if you look at the kind of parenting most people receive, you know, I think you are probably among the fortunate. I would say on this planet, the vast majority of people are not well-parented. First of all because nobody ever teaches you how to be a good parent and secondly all you have is the role model of your parents, which are yes. probably, probably worse. Uh, it's no wonder that we have an epidemic of bad leadership because everybody is coming from that deeply reactive place and they've got these hidden triggers and landmines and, and drivers that they don't even understand and they don't want to confront because it is scary to confront those things and and so I think what the LCP does in, 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 in conjunction with with really good coaching, yes, right, which is to uh, to say, wow, see, look at all the growth possibility you've got here. You're already doing pretty well as a leader, with, despite all of this, you know, baggage in a way. And uh, and look at all the ways in which you can evolve uh, from there. You know, I was reading this book about Jack Welch, um, and so many fascinating nuggets. But in his childhood, when he was about seven years old. You know, He was heavily influenced by his mother, kind of a single mom going up in a poor family. And she made him go to church every single day, literally go to mass every day. And when he was seven years old, she taught him how to play poker. And she instilled in him that winning is the only thing. Okay. And winning at poker requires, you know, deceit and trickery and, you know, all kinds of stuff, right? And so you then look at the trajectory of how he showed up as a leader, right? uh it, it 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 tracks you know uh, yes quite significantly from there yes you like, never had the self-awareness to say oh my god i need to release from that you know he had the arrogance to say that is the only way
0: well bob, you know we talk, started talking about stages of development um that that stage in bob keegan bob keegan's harvard um professor and um the most foremost researcher on stages of adult development in the world he calls that level of development socialized because we're actually living from our conditioning
2: mm-hmm.
0: so in a way that it's running us. So we're authored not so much by self, but by the voices from our past and our current surround, living up to those demands and expectations. And the, the fundamental shift, and remember, I said we're identified with them. In other words, this makes me me. This is my success factor. This is what makes me good, worthwhile, right? And so I cannot not put people down. I cannot not prove how brilliant I am. I cannot not like take over the meeting and so on. The fundamental shift is when I start to see that, oh, that's not me. Actually, that's how I'm not me. I got that in childhood, but it's actually a false belief. My worth is not in your hands. My future is not in your hands. Your approval of me does not define me. My results don't define me. My brilliance doesn't define me. I have those, but they don't have me anymore.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I unhook from that identity I formed early like you, like with your story with Jackie have to win or else. And when I unhook from that there's a a freedom that opens. Oh, what will I do with all the energy I'm putting into having to be so perfect? If I didn't have to be so perfect or have you like me all the time, what would I do? What would I create? How would I show up? And it gives a whole lot more agility, flexibility, agility in how I deploy myself in the moment. I can take over the meeting. I cannot take over the meeting. I can give my opinion, show up brilliantly or not. I can confront you instead of always having to agree with you. And all of a sudden I'm at a whole different level of how I'm able to deploy myself into complex circumstances, emotionally charged, politically sensitive, uh, conceptually challenging, strategically challenging circumstances.
2: Well, I want to play off that theme of complexity that you just brought up, because I think that, uh, you know, you point out in many places uh, and we're all experiencing it right now. The world is getting, you know, more complex. You know, I was joking with a client the other day where I put up a slide about VUCA, the, the, the VUCA world we live in. And then I went back and I looked and I, I first used that in a presentation in 2006. (laughs) I was was sort of saying, well, but now I really mean it, you know, like 16 years ago, I said it, but, you know, I really mean it now. And in many ways, we are in such a complex and fast changing world. And um, the the way of managing or leading where things were more predictable, where we could be very leading by the book, so to speak, in a very top-down way, those days are gone. And, um, you know, the day on the need for creative and integral leaders and people that are, um, eating in that direction has never been greater. And I, and I'm curious, you know, how does that start to play out in some of the organizations you work at with? And, and I guess what I have in mind is I, uh, you know, just recently contacted by a startup that's in the blockchain world and the metaverse and you know we're having this early discussion of like, well, what kind of leaders do you want to have here as you build your organizational DNA? And that's extraordinarily different than you know an energy company that is you know well established, and been around forever. and and their world is just as complex in many, many ways as, as just you know emphasized by by what's gone on in Ukraine and by the whole carbon zero movement. Um, and yet, they've got a very, very traditional mindset in many, many ways. And, and yet, they all need this new kind of leadership. <laughs> how do you place that? And how do you start to position that when, let's say, some of these more traditional companies come and talk to you?
0: Well, usually, there's an itch they're trying to scratch. Mm. If it's Roche Pharmaceutical, which whom, with whom we do quite a bit of work and a very traditional, you know, and successful company doing great work in the world. I mean, how do we bring, you know, they were embarking on uh, an agility effort. And how do we get more agile to get life-saving drugs to market faster? And it really wasn't about making more money. It was about how do we bring things uh, that can save lives into the place faster? higher quality, faster, really noble effort. And they realized um, through some of the conversations we were in with them, that they could not do that from their current leadership model. It didn't support the agile movement, high engagement, highly agile, innovative, culture wouldn't support it, it was highly reactive. And so they're very, very clear with us now that that strategy and the structure that, it, that they're, they're putting in place to deliver on that strategy will not boot up on reactive leadership. And so it's a very pragmatic argument, really. Uh, can your leadership and the way you're showing up as a, le- as a leadership group, and we have, we can do assessments and give them some feedback on that. To open up that discussion? Does it support what you're trying to create? And many cases, people go, you're right, we have to change.
1: You know, Bob, you meant, you use the phrase leadership model, and I was just talking to a French company yesterday, and they have their leadership model, and it has three elements in it, and so forth, and so many companies do. And I just look at those, and I say, why, why should companies create these idiosyncratic leadership models? I mean, to me, what LCP has is what leaders should be, it doesn't matter to me the industry or the uh, context really, right? All of those other leadership, so-called leadership models are half-baked and you know, it's like me coming up with a physiology and an understanding of human anatomy anatomy that's unique to my company, you know, why not use uh, something? (laughs) I'm kind of putting in a plug for LCP here but I'm just feeling like my advice to companies is Don't create these uh, so-called leadership models, you know, adopt what is at the the leading edge of this.
0: You know, when I was first creating IT for the, I didn't write the IT, but I was working with a company that did. We wanted to build in the, the ability to be flexible so we could use our competencies or theirs. And some of that might be languaging, but it might be, okay, let's add some or, you know, change some of the competencies in this model. And so you know, I would get into these conversations with companies, and they'd say, "Can you use our model?" I say, "Well, send it to me." So they'd give me their model, and it was typically all yang,
1: yeah,
0: all results, drive results, strategy, execution, da 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 da. da. I'd say, "Well, what about relationships, or what about authenticity, or self-awareness, or compo? What about those essential elements?" Well, they're not in the model. And I said, well, why not? Well, we've we've got a new CEO and he's really focused on developing the company through leadership and this is his competency model. I said, well, it doesn't have anything to do with teams or relationships or building internal capacity. He said, well, his diagnosis of the organization is that everybody's sitting around talking to each other and they're not advancing the ball. And I said, oh, he's confusing complying with relating like holding back playing it safe everybody's being agreeable it's too nice that's not leadership that's not relationship you need to get power in your relationships and so yes there's we often bring our biases to the model of leadership that we lay on the organization and and so i agree with you i think there's been a ton of research here about what works um By us, and I didn't actually do that research. I learned from the field. I took the best competency models that are out there and said, What are they saying about leadership? And they're all similar because they all keep coming to the same place. Here's what works. So the field has, over decades, researched this, and it's a very strong uh, set of, and it's not 65 it's, you know, 20 things that really make the difference.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, Bob, I'm glad you bring that up because I'm always fascinated by the fact that you have an evidence-based approach. <laughs> you know this wasn't i you know the the you know you read the i mean even read jack welch's book on leadership oh by the way and you know he's got his six favorite things that make a great leader and it's like well jack you know where did that come from well you know it was my experience and therefore i wrote about my experience um so i love that it's fact based and, and having said that i'm always always intrigued by the fact you can come with this evidence and says this is what Better leaders look like. This is what good leadership looks like, and they say, "No, no, no, no. We have our model. You know, our CEO likes this, and it's almost as if you're running into a wall where people have a narrative about leadership, and it's not evidence based. And it comes, and 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 no matter how much evidence you provide, there's often this pushback." What what do you perceive that about? I mean, why isn't everybody looking at it and going, Bob, you're right. This is what the evidence says. We ought to do it this way. That's a really good question. Um, I think you're right.
0: <laughs> I, I'm not, I think, I think there are, you know, if you look at the other 360s, they're, they're really good. They're really, most of them are really strong from uh, some of our competitors. What really makes the the leadership circle so much more powerful is its dynamic interrelationship with the reactive dimensions and the way things are dynamically related and the underpinnings of a interoperating system that are informing that. So it immediately drops into a deeper level of introspection and self-awareness so it's a it's a better model but the competency model isn't necessarily a better model it's organized differently uh Mm -hmm. in a way that's i think more helpful but the competencies are not dissimilar to some of the best that are out there but i think your question actually gets to something deeper um I, I I think we're well defended against rational arguments for change. Yep, I know that. I need to take this drug. Bob Keegan's done research on this on what he calls immunity to change. I know I need to take this life-saving drug, and most people don't, because it confronts an identity, uh, or or a fear that I'm aging, for example, and so data doesn't actually penetrate those immune systems very well. And so we can provide evidence. And that's mostly just to get in the door. Once you get in the door, you got to help people drop beneath the data, the data isn't the profile we, we say is, it's not about the data, it's not getting into the data, it's getting into the person. And once that door opens, then you can do some very very powerful work and we hear this a lot we were talking with a very senior leader in one of the largest consulting companies in the world he said I was unprepared for the level of access that that you have with me and it was a welcome unprepared he said I've never I've some of what I've told you I've never said to anybody in my life I've never so it it opens doors that are where transformation can happen the the deeper terrain the inner terrains raj pointed us to that comes goes way back where we're you know operating on old wounds that are now no longer serving us they got us through if you really look at we we were recently doing a workshop on integral leadership. And one of the senior CEOs was dropping into a place of a real childhood hurt. We didn't get the story, but you could tell there was a lot of pain there. And he was willing to look at it and later talk about how this has really opened up so much possibility for him. But, But when we looked at it, what was so beautiful was to see how this little boy was heroic. Like you developed that strategy to always win, to drive things forward. You developed that strategy to, to keep yourself alive. What an amazing creation, you know? And it was a beautiful thing for him to reframe this into, that was a brilliant adaption to what I grew up in. And it got me through, saved my life. And now it's not only driving behavior that's inadequate to the situation, but it's, it's a frozen um, energetic within me. It's got tremendous energetic costs. I'm playing much more contracted as a human being than I otherwise could. And so his just touching it and being met in that by us, by the group with no judgment, with uh, complete awe really at the beauty of it. And all of a sudden now I hear him talking about how much more fluidity and access he has to himself, to relationships, to intimacy, to risk-taking, to how he's running his company and showing up in his meetings and so on. And that's the healing journey that you're talking about, Raj. And I'm working with a colleague now, a man by the name of Nicholas Jani. He's working with me in this integral leadership. work. Mm. He's just published a book called Leader is Healer. Because there's healing work that, needs, that we all need to continue to do.
1: Yeah, no, I love that, uh, Bob. You know, it's, it's kind of to use David Cooperrider's language. It's kind of an appreciative inquiry yes say wow look at all these amazing things that you've been able to do and you know uh, how you've overcome but i'm also i'm getting the visual of you know when the rockets go up and at some point they shed you know those elements that got them to that level and then after that it just becomes weight right and uh, imagine how yeah, much further you can go right once you start to shed some of those things that got you to some degree to where you are but I'm not going to get you uh, get you further. You know I look at LCP to me it's one of those um, you know it's like the uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes said the simplicity on the other side of complexity you know it's to me it's like E equals mc square it's that level of profoundness and yet simplicity that just clarifies everything so I just want to yeah. be, uh, express my gratitude that uh, this is a gift you've given to the world mm-hmm. and I think uh, it has you know, I, I look around at, at leaders, political leaders, and business leaders, and I said, if if I only knew what their LCP circle looked like, you know, <laughs> that would give me so much information, right? Whether I should vote for this person, what they are likely to do once they have power, you know. And it's so obvious when we look at certain leaders, uh, what 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 is likely to happen. And the other thing, you know, th- there's this phrase that I. Saw so with a company called Pivot Leadership, which is a leadership development firm. Uh, but their tagline I always loved it said, Better leaders equals better world. Yeah. Right. And by the same token, bad leadership destroys what is good in the world. And in your model, what I also love about it, it's not just better leadership being defined as just purely better financial outcomes, but it truly is making this company good for the world right? Because you yeah. bring those dimensions of higher purpose and uh, yeah. thinking, uh, et cetera, right? So it it is, it is related to the larger picture of what leadership is ultimately about. And it also shows that it also delivers great financial results. I and mean, you've got that data, you know, as well. Yeah. yeah. So do you with your
0: firms of endearment research. You know, I want to go back to VUCA for a minute. I recently was talking, I found kind of, Unrehearsed, something come out of my mouth that surprised me. And it was that the challenge for leaders today is no longer a VUCA. Yes, it is. We have incredible complexities, as you describe so well. But it's now the challenge is beyond that. That our, the challenge of leaders, especially senior leaders, is to righten the planet, to, righten, to, to rewrite the rules of civilization from ground up.
2: Hmm.
0: That it, that the order that we're in is, I think, coming to an end and needs to. It's as much as you've been brilliant in describing, Raj, the greatness and contribution that capitalism has made, <clears throat> there's some fundamental rewriting of its foundations that are required. And so we have to rewrite society from ground up from the presumption of unity from the presumption of our inherent unity the unity of all things which goes i think right to the heart of conscious capitalism Mm. and that nobody knows how to do it's it's going to take tremendous innovative capacity to rewrite recreate uh, a new order Because back to normal is a death sentence for the planet and for humanity. And we all know this at some deep level, and none of us knows how to do it. And so this capacity uh, that I think is right at the heart of conscious capitalism is how do we step and this is an integral, more integral leadership capacity? How do we step into the unknown? How do we lead from unknowing and discern the future that's trying to emerge through us and through our leadership? Let it inform us. So we move from being self-authored, I'm creating this organization I believe in, we are creating this organization we believe in, to being authored by what's trying to emerge through our association and through this organization and our leadership for the stewardship of the planet or a better world. How are we being authored now by what's trying to come in and must come in if we're gonna make it? That's a different challenge altogether. And that's what we mean by integral leadership. And it's both this capacity to, to, to be intuitively informed so that we can break through on new structures new innovation new forms of energy new organizational designs and so on and to address the shadows that are in me and in our collective that if we don't address them we just recreate the old patriarchy gender issues race our relationship with the natural world and on and on and on wealth inequality these we must re- rewrite our relationship with all these things as we manage vuca and that is a complex challenge
2: it is and you know i i know that you know when we talk about conscious capitalism there's an underlying assumption that somehow the world's level of general consciousness is slowly slowly rising and therefore more and more people can begin to even understand the language that you're using (laughs) because fundamentally at some level you're 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 talking about um almost sort of spiritual development and the, the the development of of mature spiritually and psychologically mature adults and you know, I, I I sometimes look at the younger generation. I have a you know a twenty five year old and a twenty two year old. <laughs> Back to your point, Raj, about parenting. Not to say I've been a great parent, but I've been a, a good parent. And I hope I hope that they have a a different set of values or a different beginning place than certainly what I had. Yeah. And uh, and I'm curious, does, does there is there you know, where does the hope lie for you? And, and, and where do you start to see these, you know, kernels of optimism, <laughs> you know, that have been planted or are starting to grow? How, how do you see that?
0: I would go back to say the Syngenta example. I think the future is gonna be brought in by business. Governments at the moment can't seem to get out of their own way. So it's going to take corporate leadership. That's where all the power is. And it's also many, many of these organizations are not nationally bounded. So they're, they are interested in the collective playing field, the collective welfare. So I'm encouraged by those kind of examples. You've got one in my brother, Jerry, my brother, Jerry, CEO and chairman of Detroit Edison. I'm so proud of him unbelievable he's my little brother i teased him mercilessly growing up <laughs> and he's made a heck of a contribution <laughs> and uh you know he's literally led the industry in moving toward car you know low very low carbon commitments and um that's a tremendous contribution with a lifetime so i think you know when you see the same kind of passion out of a Syngenta organization saying we can uh, feed the world and reforest the planet. There is a way to do that. And so how do we how do we uh, position our business to be a leader and one of the leading climate scientists who works right at the heart of it on a world stage said there's only six companies in the world that can materially make a difference here. And Syngent is one of them. And so when I see leadership like that stepping up and saying, okay, we're going to take this on. We can thrive as an organization, uh, we, we, but we will have to substantially work our business model over time. We can thrive as an organization and we can um, steward this planet. That, that's where the intersection is. And I it's starting to show up.
2: You know, I love that uh, the LCP brings such focus to the individual and uh, the dialogue that occurs there. And it's incredibly powerful. Um, I'm also intrigued by the idea of scaling leadership and getting into your most recent book and talking about leadership systems. And um, connect those dots for our listeners a little bit about the LCP as a powerful individual tool and the development of a leadership system that encourages more, what we might refer to here as integral or creative leadership.
0: Yeah, one of the surprising things, what we did in the scaling leadership, I'll try to shorthand this, was we did a massive study of our written comments because everybody gets written comments. And we said, well, then what do the written comments look like of the most creative leaders and, and what do they look like of the most reactive leadership? And we, they, we were stunned by just literally stunned. And one of the things that was so stunning about the data was how relational, the best leaders are, and how technical, the highly reactive leaders are brilliant, technically oriented, making a significant contribution to the organization, but um, not relational. And um, so we we realized that the best leaders are scaling leadership through others through the development of people teams and systems and they're literally about scaling creative capacity into the organization and they're building they're systematizing that it's yes there's one on one and then we we bring it into our teams and we develop a, a team of senior leaders that are both strategically working the organization forward, but doing so in a way that we're all developing. And that enhances our ability to be a a better uh, strategic body together and govern and lead the organization. And then we build a system for scaling that into the organization. And they look different in organizations, but the idea is that that we're, we're creating an organization that systemically develops this kind of leadership. It's designed to develop this kind of leadership. Bob Keegan calls it a deliberately developmental organization. Mm -hmm. And um, that's a strategic imperative. So the senior team becomes, uh, you know, or the CEO becomes the chief development officer. It isn't that you do away with HR, but HR is is an important ally here for getting that job accomplished. But um, ownership Or the strategic agenda of developing the kind of leadership that this organization needs rests right at the top. And that's a very fundamental shift that we see in organizations that transform their organizations through scaling creative leadership.
1: So Bob, if you look at a uh, Satya Nadella at Microsoft, do you have any, have you been observing what he has done there and completely changed? the ethos, the culture, the leadership mindset at that company by bringing in empathy, right, a growth mindset, by using the phrase model, coach, and care. It's kind of the mantra for leaders They model the behavior you want to see. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Um,
0: I'm not as close to it as some in our organization are because we're opening up quite a relationship with Microsoft right now. So Probably some things I can't say about that, but um, that's it. And um, there's a real clear uh, connection there between that kind of development and our business strategy and stewarding the planet. So it's, there's a lot happening there.
1: So, You've shared with me in the past a little bit about the work you're doing currently on the integral, uh, mm. group. and it is very, very exciting. And uh, you know, so it's, as you as you touched upon earlier, you know, bringing in starting with unity at the center, yeah. you know, got higher purpose, and then shadow healing work, you know, and that axis, and then mm. preparation and transformation, and many other things, system design, intuition. I think tapping into intuition uh, justice, etc. I know that this is a work you're deeply immersed in and developing right now. Uh, is there anything more you can share about that? Is it, is it going to lead to a second version of LCP or is this going to be a separate thing? Uh, what's your vision for, for that work and how you're bringing it to the world? Is that going to be a book?
0: I want it to be a book. In fact, I was thinking just yesterday, okay, it's time to start writing um at at least first draft um, work on it yes it's um new it's very edgy Um, it's based on a very different model of reality that's emerging from the sciences um, and from quantum uh, physics and so on Um, we just did a pilot of it uh finished it. it was very well received what shocked me or surprised me was that the stuff that I thought was the most edgy was what they liked the most what fit, what landed most powerfully with them, which was uh, we, we were literally teaching them energetic practices how to meditate in quotes in a way that uh, opens up uh, energetic channels to be informed by the field. By the unified field, this is the physics. How do I tap the information that's already there to, in the, to be informed in the midst of unknowing, and to inform my innovation and purpose or vision that's trying to come through? And that those practices, um, people wanted a lot more of because they they saw the immediate value in terms of how they were showing up the presence with which they were leading the impact they were having just by dropping into more presence in their teams and so on there was a whole and then the other part that was was surprising to us was that just running those currents through your system evoked shadow so people started to hit deep blocks before we thought they would. And so um, then working those opened up uh, the capacity to hold much higher currents through the energetic field of the body. Now that sounds like woo woo language, but it's actually leading science. And so uh, we we we're really, I'm really interested in this integration where this what we have kind of relegated to metaphysics or spiritual is now being there is a model of reality that actually uh, explains that. And so we're tapping higher capacities uh, and bringing those online with leaders and it was, it was a wonderful experience. I don't know if we'll do another assessment. Um, it. We might, um, uh, it would probably uh, be aimed at the subtle differences between creative leadership, which is really effective, and um, what comes on at uh, integral uh, that's of higher capacity. It takes it another level. So I still think there's more modeling and more learning there for us before we're ready to systematize it into an assessment Um, and it may become that, but certainly we're we're wanting to write up what we're learning and uh, some of the case studies of organizations we're working with that are moving in that direction.
1: Very exciting. Um, And speaking of emerging science, uh, you know, there's a whole renaissance in a way of research uh, in looking at the use of psychedelics. Yes get into the subconscious uh, and uh, and uncover and, and help to heal traumas uh, and so forth. There's a tremendous amount of work and, and highly impactful um, work in terms of dealing with PTSD and, and things yeah. like that. Do you see a role for those things uh, in leadership development? Uh, and- I do,
0: I do actually. I was talking with someone recently who's doing really leading edge work uh, with executives where they actually sequence your DNA and so on and so on. And they're working right at the edge of science. And they're working actually with natural hormones that the brain would actually give off. Ketamine is one of them. And I can't remember the other one that she mentioned that um, puts you kind of in a euphoric bliss state opens the heart. Uh, that's a secretion from the brain. Anyway, they're working with micro doses of that and then doing, you know, having leaders look at some of these challenging places within themselves mm-hmm. and they they're finding real ease of access and then, and then, and things just automatically self-organize and write in, in a profound way. So I do think there's a, a way of, I was just talking with a colleague of mine who lost his son and as, Trying to deal with the grief of that, hmm. uh, he he got with a psychologist who used uh, MDN, what is it, ecstasy, basically, yeah. to, to, to work with him on that. He said it was tremendously healing for him, tremendously healing. Um, so I do think there's a place uh, for that with proper, um, you know,
1: expertise.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I've had some personal experience with that and actually have uncovered traumatic things in my past and actually have uh, had uh, the ability to make sense of things and also to heal certain things. Yeah. yeah. Essentially, you know, as you said early on, to become or be able to become who I am supposed to be. I'm not becoming yeah, to understand who am I really without all of those things that got you know foisted on me right at an early age. Yeah, the
0: the I do think there's a place for that. I'm 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 also surprised by uh, when you can create in in a group setting, for example, a very safe container um, of people showing up in full presence together. People can drop into those places. You get much more immediate access. I was working this week. I was working with at the Vatican. That was a very, very was the most powerful work I've ever done uh, in part because of the people that were gathered to do this work, and also because I didn't have to to um I was able to talk about spiritual language and and therefore in their language system, which is basically Catholic Jesuit because of the nature of the work, um which is what I grew up in. So I know that system and it dropped the work so deep. People were stunned and we have a process in day two of our certification training, where we just open it up for a couple hours to say, okay, what's cooking, what's going on with you. And the work went so deep. In fact, one woman got up in the middle of the conversation, walked across the mat. We have the profile on a great big floor mat, sat down in authenticity and said, I'm compelled to say this. And she confessed for the first time in her life that she was abused as a young child, sexually abused. And she wept and she wept and she just wept. And I was moved to just go sit with her. And I held her hands, didn't say a word, just met it. And the group came around and just put their hands around on her, not in a caretaking way, but just in a supportive way. And it was a powerfully transformative moment. Mm-hmm. And there were others that un- opened up in that space. So um, I, I do think we know how to very lovingly and supportively help leaders face um, very deep and traumatic issues that they may have grown up with, which which has actually compelled them to be so extraordinary Mm -hmm. and driven them in ways that are very powerful, Mm -hmm. but are now like the rockets. They're just, Mm -hmm. they're like costly and um, maybe having toxic effects around them that they're not aware of. And so we know we we have the capability both through the psychedelics or drugs and through a deep process work to do this very safely and very beautifully and powerfully
2: oh it's beautiful bob you've you've covered such a such a breadth of topics with us today and i love that we're ending it with sort of this notion of love and healing as being an important part of our growth as human beings and as leaders. So thank you for all you do in this space to help unlock that uh, that human potential. Yeah. And if people want to hear more about the Leadership Circle profile and more about the work you're doing, how can they find out more?
0: Well, two things. One is leadershipcircle.com, leadershipcircle, one word, .com. That's our website. Um, there's lots of you know, information about the assessment, but also a lot of position papers and videos and so on. Um, And we have a whole community of practitioners that use the leadership circle that have written articles. And then our books, you mentioned Mastering Leadership and Scaling Leadership, so plenty there too. Mm
2: -hmm. Very good. Well, Bob, thank you once again for, I just loved this show, it was wonderful, thank you.
0: My pleasure, really wonderful to be with both of you. Thank
1: you. Thank you very much, Bob. As always, we learn and we grow in your presence. Thank you. You're welcome.
2: And for our listeners, um, for those of you that really enjoyed today's show and got something from it, please, whatever channel you're listening to, hit the subscribe button and leave us a review if you feel so moved. And if you want to leave a message for Raj and I and give us some feedback or advice on these things please go to theconsciouscapitalists.com and there's a place there where you can leave us your comments. Before we leave, also a big thanks to Tech Sounds, our producers who help us produce this each week. And Raj, who else do you
1: want to thank? I want to thank Technologically Monterey where I'm a professor now and the uh, Conscious Enterprise Center uh, under whose auspices now we are offering this uh, this podcast. So thank you all. Thank you all, and we'll see you next
2: week.